experience to walk through this and hear all about their living conditions, the how small of a house that they live in, the fact that they might not have food on the table. This gives families a chance to see poverty from the perspective of a child living on less than two dollars a day. It's just a walk through that sweet little boy's life, how he lost his mom and he had to work at 10 years old. I have a nine-year-old, I can imagine him going to work. It shows us reality and it gives us perspective of what really is going on. We want our children to grow up compassionate. And so these were very helpful visual aids to walk inside that hut with our five children. And I like the part where you had the discussion questions because I had a group of kids. We talked about you know each little thing and I, I thought that was good. morning, Faith Bible Church. Good to see everyone here. It's a blessing to gather in this way. Taylor Bauer, it's good to have you back leading us in worship today as well. Uh, this video, you're probably wondering why we showed it. Um, if you don't know about Compassion International, Compassion is a child sponsorship program. It operates uh, in 26, 25 different countries on six different continents. Uh, the stated mission of Compassion is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Built on three pillars primarily. Three pillars. It's Christ-centered, it is church-based and it's child-focused. Many, many people in our church uh, sponsor Compassion Children, uh, and we want to continue to see people in our church engage with Compassion International. Uh, you might ask, okay, Jay, you just said a mouthful about this organization. How do you know so much? Why do you know so much? Seth, tell them why we know so much. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My best friend. Um, in September, Jay and I got to travel to Honduras for a week with Compassion International with about 25 other pastors from around Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana. And it was just a wonderful opportunity to see what Compassion does on the ground. We got to, we got to meet these kids, have fun with them. As a matter of fact, I think I have a picture. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Jay Reisner getting destroyed in a sack race uh, by a small Honduran boy. It's quite, uh, quite sweaty in Honduras. It's quite hot that week, wasn't it? It's humid. It's yeah. humid. Yeah, it was. Um, 
But we, we got to meet these kids uh, face-to-face. We got to meet these volunteers at these churches and see how these churches uh, are, being, are, are, are partnering with Compassion on the ground. Incredibly eye-opening experience, incredibly encouraging. Uh, and what it did for me is just it, it, it really showed me uh, why this organization was, was so important and why it should be something that, that my family and I and this church uh, really do support in, in numerous ways. Yeah, it was not only eye-opening to see the way it operates on the ground, but it was also confidence-building. Uh, so Compassion is an organization we've championed for a long time here at Faith Bible and, and asked you to, to pick up sponsorship pasket, pa- packets and, and sponsor children. Uh, but to go and to see who's leading these compassion centers, uh, who's leading in country uh, these different compassion programs, for them to be able to open the books to us and say, okay, here are all our financials, here are how, how money is distributed and used. Um, again, gave a can also uh, support the children that desperately need our help. Um, that is just a win-win. Um, and Seth is even looking at dates right now to take a trips to take families to, to visit compassion centers, to potentially visit the children that they sponsor, uh, and it's really, really exciting. But there's something happening here next weekend. Seth, tell them about that. Yeah, so the Compassion Journey is one of the ways they partner with churches here in the United States to, to get the word out about Compassion and what they do around the world. Uh, it's a, it's a family-friendly f- uh, 30-minute audio-guided trip like you saw in the video. Um, and it's going to be here Friday through Sunday of next weekend. And so we encourage you to go to the website here, journey.compassion.com slash events slash 120. That's our local uh, compassion journey. And you can sign up for times. Again, we encourage you to do this. It's free. Uh, encourage your, the, the people you know in, in Edmond uh, who, who need to know about compassion, other believers, uh, to come to this as well. It is open to the community. And we'd love to see you there and, and just get to, let you get to know uh, about this organization more and more. All right. Anything else? Good job. Hey, nice work. Yes. All right, let's uh, bow your heads. Let's pray together, and we'll continue to worship today. Think on these words, Psalm 89, where the psalmist writes, I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. A, a scorses, as we think about local matters, as we think about issues in our own hearts and, and longings that we've brought into this place today, longings for our lives and for our families Just the assurance of knowing your love stands firm and your faithfulness is unmovable gives us peace and joy, a peace and a joy we cannot find anywhere else. So we want to live today remembering who we are in Christ. We want to gather here today celebrating who we are in Christ, whose grace has saved us and bought us and given us abundant life. We pray in his strong in gracious name, amen. Church, let's sing together and continue to sing. We sing praise to and worship this morning to God who's made all things in heaven and in earth. So we join with all creation. Creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. 
the song of all the redeemed. All the redeemed washed by his blood. Come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. same God who saves us. Church, I'm going to read for us a short scripture. This comes from Psalm 105. God's word says this to us this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has uttered. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning, church. As we tell and sing and hear of God's wondrous works, we remember together the story of the gospel of Christ. Silent as he stood, as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Of heaven, God's own. 
what Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest of this the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost we stood beneath the dead we could never afford and our sins they are many his mercy is more so praise the Lord praise the Gracious God, we give you thanks for your mercy. Build us up in Christ to bear fruit, to live and to think and to act according to your word and to your will. God, our, our eyes are often blinded in our sin. Give us sight, oh God. Bless now this word. Open our hearts and open our eyes, oh God. As we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Taylor and Addie and, and all of our musicians. We appreciate your, your labor for us to lead us in the worship of our Lord. And if you're visiting here with us this morning, we're glad you're here. Uh, thank you for coming to join us here in worship at Faith Bible Church. Um, you can uh, go out and visit the, the Welcome Center afterwards and get some more information about our church. And uh, we hope you uh, find this to be a, a loving group of believers, um, a worshiping group of believers, and a learning group of believers as well. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer before we open His Word together this morning. As uh, we were singing uh, that song this morning, I was reminded of uh, some words by an old Puritan named Richard Sibbs. 
And he says there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And that's great news for us today, that there's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. No matter how much we've sinned, we can never out the grace of God. Well, Father, we come before you today, and we pray that you'd help us to, to lay hold of that mercy, uh, to rejoice in it, and to drink often at the, the well of your great mercy for us. Of course, Father, the greatest act of your mercy is that you've saved us from our sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, we need your mercy in our lives every day. We need you to help us. Uh, there are many here today that need your healing hand upon their bodies, and maybe those who aren't with us today, uh, some who can't be here because they're struggling physically. Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray for those who need your touch upon their emotions, upon their spirit today. We commit them, Father, to you and to your grace and mercy. Father, now as we open your word together, we remember the words of the psalmist who said, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your word. And that's our prayer this morning. Open our eyes to see wondrous things in the word of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, we're continuing our study of 2 Peter. Uh, we've titled this series, Know and Grow. And uh, this is going to be the second message, actually, in these verses. We'll, uh, we'll pick up a little bit of speed next week and the week after that. We've kind of slowed down here a little bit. But First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, is one long sentence about spiritual growth. Um, a tremendous sentence, and so I don't want to miss some of the rich truths that are in this passage. So let me read uh, verses 5 through 7 for us again, and we'll, we'll dive back in here into uh, the end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness a love. Well, may the Lord indeed open our eyes this morning to behold wondrous things uh, from His Word. Back in 1924, I'm sure many of you have heard the story of George Mallory and a group of Englishmen who set out to, uh, to conquer uh, Mount Everest, which is obviously a little bit over 29,000 feet in altitude. Uh, they set up a base camp at 25,000 feet, and then George Mallory and one of his companions uh, continued the climb while the rest of the men stayed below. Um, eventually, the two men trying to ascend uh, the heights lost their footing and fell to their deaths. And in fact, I just read that I think they found their bodies there about 20 years ago, finally. Uh, but later on, one of the, the climbers that was part of this group, not obviously one of the ones who died, but one of the ones that stayed at the base camp, gave a lecture in, in London uh, to a large audience. And he told about the trials and the hardships of trying to, to climb Mount Everest. And uh, there was a large slide on the screen uh, of the mountain. And he pointed back to that, that large picture of the mountain. And he said this, Everest, we tried to conquer you once and you overcame us. We tried to conquer you a second time and you were too much for us. But Everest, we will conquer you yet for you can't grow, but we can. <laughs> and I like that. And that's the truth that we have in the spiritual life. One of the great wonders of the Christian life is for you and for me is that we can, we can keep on growing. We can keep on growing where we're able to conquer the, the obstacles and the difficulties and the struggles uh, in our lives. And it's by determination uh, that you and I reach the summit of Christian maturity. It doesn't happen accidentally. Uh, you don't just kind of drift into it. You don't fall into it. You and I have to climb the mountain of Christian maturity uh, with firm determination. 
And that's what we find here. That's what we've been finding here in our text in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And we began to unpack these verses last week under three main headings. Uh, the start, in other words, the start of this process of spiritual growth, the secret to it, and then the steps that will result from that. We looked at the first two of those points last week and got started on the third point. And so I want to just give a brief review uh, this morning. These are important truths, and uh, some of you weren't here with us last time. And even if you were, uh, I know we've all slept since then, so hopefully we can use a little, uh, little review of this. Uh, we, we began with the start, and the start is faith. Notice verse 5, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and so on. So faith is the start of everything that God does in our lives. It's the foundation of all spiritual growth. I mean, it's the baseline and the starting point of everything that will follow. Uh, faith is the necessary ingredient that makes a person a believer. So before we go any further this morning, make sure you have your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't grow and progress in the spiritual life if you don't have spiritual life. And you get that life through faith in Christ, trusting in his death and his resurrection on your behalf. But, but that's the starting point, is placing faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, back up in verse 1, that that faith actually is a gift from God. We've received this faith that God grants to us to put our faith and trust in Jesus then we looked last time as well at the secret to spiritual growth. The secret to spiritual growth is maximum effort. Look in verse 5 again. Now for this very reason, and of course the now for this very reason looks back at verses 3 and 4, because God has given us all of these riches in Christ Jesus, the, 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 the power and the, the promises that God has given to us. For this reason, apply all diligence. Bring alongside your faith, diligence, and maximum effort. Now, there's two common misconceptions, I think, about spiritual growth. Some people believe it's all God's job. It's kind of let go and let God, and kind of if the Spirit moves and you, you kind of do something, if the Spirit doesn't move, then you just kind, of, just kind of hang around, kind of a spiritual couch potato kind of idea. It's all God's job to mature me spiritually. And the other extreme, and I think this is probably where a lot of believers today fall, is it's all my job. I've got to grind it all out in my own strength and my own power, and that leads inevitably to a weariness in the Christian life. But the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Spiritual growth is a cooperative effort and a teamwork between God and the believer. Now, just to kind of mention a couple things here theologically that might help us, justification or the moment you come to faith in Christ, that's called in the Bible justification, when we're declared right before God, that's a work of God alone, I believe. Again, we saw that in verse 1. God gives us the faith to believe. So justification is the work of God. Glorification, at the other end of the spectrum, when we get to heaven someday and our bodies are transformed, we're made like Christ, glorification is completely a work of God. None of us can glorify ourselves, right? So justification is a work of God and glorification is a work of God. But in between the sanctification process or the spiritual growth process, the spiritual maturing process is a cooperative effort between us and God. It's teamwork that's involved in sanctification. God works in us. The Spirit produces fruit in us. 
and we work out what God works in us. I quoted last time, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to do his good pleasure. So God is at work, but now our work must follow his work. So the spiritual uh, life is a joint exercise between you and God. He provides the multiplied grace and the magnificent promises. All the riches in verses 3 and 4. But then our role is to diligently add the needed effort to grow in godliness. So spiritual growth is never accidental. It's always intentional. It's not automatic. I mean, it takes hard work. Consistent effort is essential. You and I have to employ every effort and our intensity if we're really going to grow spiritually. And I think, sadly, a lot of believers are pretty lackadaisical about their spiritual life and their spiritual growth. It takes everything we have. I like the story about a man who took a rock pile, and in two years, he turned it into a beautiful garden. In fact, it became famous. People came and visited from everywhere. And now one day, a man came and visited and saw the beauty of the garden, and he wanted to make sure the gardener wasn't taking credit for this beautiful garden. So he said to the gardener, the good Lord has certainly created a beautiful garden. And the gardener replied, I think that's true. If not for the sunshine and the rain and the the miracle of the seeds and the soil and the seasons, there would be no garden at all. But he continued, but you know, you should have seen this place a couple years ago when God had it all by himself. And I like that because that's the truth of the sanctification process. God does his work, the sunshine, the rain, the seeds, the soil, the seasons. But then he calls upon us to come and join hands and to work because he is working within us. God does his work, but our work must follow his. So once we have faith and we're pursuing spiritual growth with all we have, then we come to these steps. And again, faith is already there. That's the foundation. And then he says, supply or add these things. And there are seven character qualities or virtues here that should be present in a healthy, growing Christian life. Um, You could call this the ladder of virtues, or we could call this Mount Maturity, if you will, if you want to continue the idea of scaling a mountain. But he says, supply these things. And remember we said last time that word supply was used of a wealthy patron in that day, a, a wealthy person who lavishly outfitted a chorus. When they had the big music festivals, um, wealthy patrons would come and pay the money uh, to put on these lavish displays. And so what it means is you and I are to come along to our faith and lavishly, generously supply all of these um, other virtues that are listed here. Now, we said last time that we don't work on one of these traits. We don't work on moral excellence, and we got that down. Then we go to knowledge, and then we go to self-control, and then we go to perseverance. These are simultaneous. They're not sequential. We're to be working on all of these all the time in our lives. We saw last time that we're to add moral excellence. That word was used of good, fertile soil that was clear of weeds and rocks. And it's saying that you and I need to clean out the weeds and the rocks in our lives so that there's good fertile soil that that promotes spiritual growth. Then we saw last time we're to add knowledge. Uh, There's no growing without knowing. You and I need to be growing constantly in our knowing, but not just in head knowledge, but heart knowledge, applying the truth of God uh, to our lives. And then we saw uh, last time as well that there's self-control which literally you could translate to get a grip on yourself. The the word there, self-control, means to to have something in your hand, to get a hold of it. 
And again, we looked at the fact that a lot of us may struggle with anger or lust or pride or greed or pornography or whatever it may be. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So when we talk about self-control, we're really talking about spirit control. We yield to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God then enables us to control ourselves, and we work that out uh, in our daily lives. So again, it's part of that cooperative effort. But now this morning, we come to the fourth of these virtues, which is perseverance. So Peter moves from self-control over the pleasures of life to perseverance over uh, under the pressures uh, of life. Back in uh, 1983 in the Australian Ultra Marathon, which by the way, it's a foot race of 544 miles. It's from uh, Sydney to Melbourne. And a guy showed up at the race named uh, Cliff Young. And Cliff Young was a 61-year-old farmer. And everybody else showed up in their running shoes or cool athletic gear, their sponsored logos. And, and Cliff Young sh- showed up with a loose-fitting uh, white shirt flopping over baggy overalls. He had rubber galoshes over his boots and a white baseball cap with, cap with some sunscreen flaps on the side. And everybody was laughing and kind of they thought this was kind of a big joke that this guy was there. But lo and behold, the race starts and he takes off running. And all these other uh, runners kind of have their nice, beautiful strides. And he's got kind of this odd, kind of shuffled kind of a gait. And so again, everybody got a big laugh out of it. But five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, nobody was laughing. He crossed the finish line 10 hours ahead of the next competitor. Now, people wondered, how in the world did this 61-year-old man do this? And two facts uh, emerged. First, as a shepherd who was too poor to own a horse, uh, Cliff often herded entire flocks of sheep by himself. And he is sometimes running day and night to keep up with the flock. And second, and this is astounding to me, he didn't realize that runners and ultra marathons stopped at night to rest. He ran the entire 544 miles without sleeping. Now, Cliff Young had the primary attribute required to win a distance race, perseverance. And as someone said about him, he just kept on going. (laughs) Now, that's what you and I need in life as we face the obstacles and the struggles and the difficulties of life. Sometimes there's nothing better in life than just having the ability to keep on going. And that's what perseverance is. The word that's used here, the Greek word is hupomone. It literally just means to bear up under something, just to remain under something for a period of time. It refers to the idea of stamina or continuing to just relentlessly move forward in the face of difficulty. We might translate it kind of hanging in there or holding on for dear life. One writer says it like this, perseverance is a never give up attitude, a commitment to move forward when everything is conspiring to hold you back. No matter what happens, you finish the job. And, And in a world today, I think increasingly where people don't have a lot of stamina and perseverance and people kind of, it seems to me more and more in our culture today, kind of quit and kind of give up before finishing things. This is a characteristic and a trait that will help us not only to stand up, but to stand out in this world around us. You have to have perseverance to really have true character. Uh, Romans chapter five, verse three, says we're to rejoice in our tribulations. 
Uh, knowing that our perseverance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. One of the things that comes from perseverance is a proven character in life. What does James say at the, the beginning of his book? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, there's no maturity without perseverance. Or to put it another way, if you don't persevere, you will never mature. Because lack of perseverance cuts off and short, short circuits what God wants to do in our life on the pathway to grow us and to mature us and to bring a, 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 a strong character into our spiritual lives. Now, a lot could be said, I think, about how to become a persevering person. But let me just mention three things that I think can help all of us here this morning. One is live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. Just tackle one day. Or maybe we could even say live one hour at a time. If you look at life and look at next week and a month from now, the mountain is too big. And you're going to give up and you're going to quit. But if you do what you can do today and tackle one day at a time, you can continue to persevere. Jesus in Matthew 6.34 said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now that's true, isn't it? Every day has enough trouble of its own. Don't go borrowing trouble from tomorrow. And if you and I want to persevere in life, we're going to have to learn to live one day at a time because living for tomorrow saps your strength to persevere today. Have you ever noticed that? The more you think about what you've got to do, you just kind of get tired thinking about that and you're not able to make it through today. It sucks the energy out of your life to be able to really hang in there today. Most of you know the name Elizabeth Elliott. She was married to Jim Elliott, the famous missionary who was uh, martyred by the Alka Indians back in the late 1950s. Um, she's been married twice since then. Both of her husbands passed away, and she passed away recently. I think it was the last book that came out in her name was a book called uh, Suffering is Never for Nothing. It's a short little book. I read it a few months ago. Uh, but she's a woman, Elizabeth Elliot, who had more of her share in life of heartache and hardship uh, than most people. But the, the thing in the book that I got out of it more than anything else, there's a few other good points in it, but there were four simple words, she said, that got her through more agonies in life than anything else. And there are these four simple words, do the next thing. That's what she did in life, do the next thing. And she talks in there about when her husband died and they're down there in the jungle and her children are there with her. And she said this, I did the next thing. And then there was always a next thing after that. It's a pretty good way to live life. Just do the next thing. And then after that, there's going to be a next thing to do after that. So live one day at a time is one way to, to, to persevere. A second one is, and this is important, surround yourself with encouragers. We all need people who encourage us to keep us going. We all need a Barnabas in our life to, to come alongside and to help us and encourage us. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer there says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encourage one another and do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some of the people that the, the author of Hebrews was writing to were in danger of quitting and going back. They already had kind of begun flirting with stopping meeting with the believers and going back to Judaism. 
And he's saying, look, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encourage one another. That's how you persevere. And he says, do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. Speaking there, I think of the day of the Lord's coming. Look, even the strongest of us need encouragement. We do. We can't make it on our own. We need one another to encourage us to persevere in the hurdles and obstacles of life. Many of you... uh, May have heard this before, but when Abraham Lincoln was shot at a Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. back in April of 1865, he was wearing a Brooks Brothers overcoat. And after he died, they took the contents out of his pockets. They were collected and uh, they still remain today. But here's what they found in his pockets. Two pairs of spectacles, a lens polisher, a pocket knife, a gold watch fob, a linen handkerchief, a cuff link, a brown leather wallet containing a $5 Confederate bill, which I always wondered why he had a $5 Confederate bill, but anyway. But also, he had eight newspaper clippings that included statements in them that were favorable to him and his policies. Now, you think about all the dark days that Abraham Lincoln went through in trying to sustain the Union. And he kept some newspaper clippings in his pocket that he could take out where people had said positive things about him. Because if you know anything about his presidency, it was a lot of negative things being said about him constantly. In fact, one of the clippings said this. It started like this. Abe Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. And in the darkest days of his life, he'd take out these newspaper clippings and read them just to give him some encouragement to keep going on. So look, from, from, from the smallest of us to the greatest of us, we all crave words of affirmation that will encourage us. Even Abraham Lincoln needed encouragement and affirmation. It gives us strength to, to keep pressing on in life. So find people who encourage you and hang around those people. And maybe if there's people that are just constantly negative, maybe don't be around them as much. We need encouragement. And you and I need to be giving that to others. We need to be the kind of person that people want to hang around because we're encouraging them to persevere in life. The third thing I'd simply say here about how to become more persevering is just simply refuse to quit. Now, I know that sounds simple, but you know, Dr. V.R. Edmond was president of Wheaton College, and his famous statement for years and years to students was, it's always too soon to quit. And there's somebody probably here this morning that needs to hear that. It's always too soon to quit. Charles Spurgeon had a great little line. He said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. I like that. You know, a little snail inching along. Finally got there, though, because there's still snails today, right? And I thought about this in my own life, though, this week. You know, th- there's things that I need to quit that I don't quit. And there's things that God doesn't want me to quit that I might be tempted to quit. So the problem is we're, we quit the wrong things. We have habits and maybe sin patterns in our lives that God wants us to quit, and we don't quit those things. But we quit the other things of the calling of God upon our life and how God wants to use us. So you and I need to figure out in life how to quit the right things, uh, not quit the right things, and to quit the wrong things. But, But refuse to quit in life what God has called you to do, no matter how severe the obstacles may become. I was reading a book uh, some time ago. It's a really good book called Mastering Life by Robert Morgan. Tells a story in there about William Carey, the missionary. Many of you have heard of him, really the the first uh, Protestant missionary, foreign missionary. Says he was born in an obscure village in England in the 1700s. As a child, he was sickly, afflicted by numerous allergies, and sensitive to the sun. 
He was poorly educated. Entering adolescence, he frequently got into trouble. He married, but his wife developed mental illness. He, con he contracted a dreaded disease that left him entirely bald. He was the town cobbler, but his business failed. He tried teaching school, but didn't succeed. He pastored a church, but his sermons weren't well received. He developed a passion for overseas missions and felt God calling him to go abroad, but his fellow ministers were all opposed. When he did finally make it to India, think about this, his wife lost her mind, his co-worker mishandled their funds, and he encountered a thousand obstacles. But it says, fast forward to the end of the story. William Carey labored faithfully in India for 41 years, dying there at the age of 73. When all was said and done, as his biographer points out, he translated the, the complete Bible into six languages and portions of it into 29 others. He had founded over 100 rural schools for the people of India. He'd established uh, Sarampore College, which is still training ministers to this day. He'd introduced the concept of a savings bank to the farmers of India. Uh, he had published the first Indian newspaper. He had written dictionaries and grammars in five different languages. He had so influenced the nation of India that largely through his efforts, the practice of burning living widows with the corpses of their dead husbands was outlawed. Additionally, he launched the modern era, era of missions and laid the foundations for the modern science of missiology. Now you talk about perseverance, 41 years, all these different obstacles. What was his secret? Here's what William Carey's sister said about him when he died. Whatever he began, he finished. Difficulties never seemed to discourage his mind. And then Carey himself put it this way to his own nephew. He said, whenever I die someday, if anybody wants to write a book about me, I'm going to give you the criterion by which you may judge the correctness of that book. If you want to give me credit for anything, he said, give me credit for being a plodder. I can plod, I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. William Carey, you know, he wasn't the smartest guy, wasn't the most gifted guy, the most brilliant guy, but he said, if you want to boil my life down and say what my life is all about, I credit everything to being a plodder, to being able to persevere and continue in any pursuit without discouragement, no matter what the obstacles uh, may be. Now, let me just say this morning, that's a great thing for us to teach young people and children. A lot of you young people here, God's placed within you dreams of what God wants you to do. And it's easy to get discouraged in life and to give up and to quit. You need to hang in there. And we need to be examples, those of us who are older, of perseverance in life. Calvin Coolidge put it like this, nothing in this world can take the place of perseverance. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Think of all that's accomplished by just perseverance. Never underestimate the power of perseverance in your life. Perseverance prevails. So let me ask you this this morning. Are you discouraged about something in your life? Something that you're contemplating quitting that God wants you to continue in? You know, maybe throwing in the towel. Uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in some business endeavor that you're in or whatever it may be. Don't quit. Hang in there. Get around people to encourage you. Take one day at a time and don't quit. The mountain can't grow any bigger, but you can. 
Keep scaling that mountain of maturity day after day. So perseverance. The fifth quality here is godliness. In fact, if you go back up to verse 3, you have that same word. That God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And godliness really means God-likeness. It's a life that's like God. And of course, we talk about a life that's like God. We're really talking about Christ-likeness because Jesus is the incarnation of God and showed us what God is really like. So godliness is simply becoming more like God every day, which is really the same thing as saying becoming more like Christ every day. So the goal of our lives is conformity to Jesus Christ. That's what God uh, desires from us. I mentioned uh, William Carey, the first Protestant missionary to go overseas. Adoniram Judson was the first Protestant missionary from America to go overseas. He went to the country of Burma, and for almost four decades, he served and suffered there. And if you want to read a a powerful story to encourage you in your own life. Uh, get the biography. It's, uh, there's different versions of it, but of Adoniram Judson. When he was dying, uh, his wife, Emily, uh, sat beside his bed and read what some other famous people were saying about his lifetime of work. And some were comparing him to Paul, and some were comparing him to Peter and, and other great heroes of the Christian faith. And as he lay there dying, he said this. It says, he clapped his hands together. He burst into tears. And he said, do not read me any more of those clippings. I do not want to be like any man. I want to be more like Jesus. It's great to be, people say, well, you're like Peter. You're like Paul, this great hero of the faith. Judson, the only thing he wanted in life was to be like Christ. And so should we. And so, well, how do you do that? How do you become more like Christ? Well, it's very simple, by spending time with him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another, just as by the Lord, the Spirit. So you take that whole verse apart, and what it's saying is when a man of God or a woman of God looks into the mirror of the Word of God, and we see Christ there, the Spirit of God transforms us by one, from one degree of glory to another into that image. So it's simply reading about Christ, reading in the Gospels, reading what Jesus was like, how he walked, how he talked, how he responded to different situations, how he handled anger, how he handled money, how he handled everything. So we all with unfailed face, we look into the mirror of the Word of God, and the, the Spirit of God transforms us into that image from one degree of glory to another. And again, it's a long, slow process that God makes us more and more like Christ and more and more like himself over time. But it's just regular exposure to the mirror of the word of God as we become more like him. Now, the second two of these virtues, or the last two of these virtues, we'll cover pretty quickly. They're more familiar. Um, brotherly kindness and love. They're actually related. They're, there's two different words for love. Brotherly kindness is the word Philadelphia which is the, the, the uh, word for love of phileo love, and the word love there is agape. So it's two different forms of love. So Philadelphia literally is putting two Greek words together. It's brotherly love. Now, I like to call it brotherly and sisterly love because it's, it's all of us together. But perseverance has to do with the, the, our attitude towards problems. Brotherly love has to do with our attitude toward people. It's a sincere concern and care for other people that you really are concerned and you really care 
about other people in God's family. And it's called brotherly love because it's the love we have for one another in the church. We're brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so it's a commitment to personal relationships of concern for and time with uh, other believers. It's warmth and affection for one another. Back in, uh, back in 1 Peter, Peter mentioned this in chapter 2, or chapter 1 and verse 22, uh, where he says there, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. And he says over in chapter 3 and verse 8, to sum up all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. It's the same, it's a form of the same word of brotherly love. Kind-hearted and humble uh, in spirit. Look, it's a warmth and an affection and a care and a concern uh, for one another in the body of Christ. A legitimate, authentic concern, a sincere concern. You say, well, how do we manifest this? Let me just mention a few things. One is encouraging each other. We already talked about that with perseverance. But one way to show care and concern for one another and brotherly kindness is to encourage one another, to fortify one another with our words, and not to be cutting and criticizing. Uh, brotherly love, if you have a care and a concern for one another, we should pray for one another. That's a good reason to get in an adult Bible fellowship here on Sunday mornings where you get to know some people and share life on life and you can have concern and care for them and know them and pray for them. A brotherly kindness forgives other people. Brotherly kindness is generous with others. If we really have a concern and a care for one another, we're going to want to share and to help one another. By the way, here at, uh, on uh, Compassion today, we just saw that of a way that we can, in a tangible way, show our brotherly kindness for uh, children, uh, many of whom know the Lord in other parts of the world, as we show our concern and our care for them by helping them in the needs that they have. And look, for all of us, there's got to be some people out there that need some generosity, need some help. And you, not, you and I need to be on the lookout for that and have sincere concern and compassion for them. You know, over in the book of James, James talks a lot about good works. Did you know when you read the book of James, the, the good works that are always mentioned in James are, are, are works of mercy. They're deeds of mercy in helping people who are in need. That pleases God when we do that. It's a, it's a manifestation of brotherly kindness. Well, the final one of these virtues is love, probably the one we're most familiar with. It commences, this, this whole chain does, with, with, with faith, and it ends with love. Uh, the bottom rung is faith, the top rung is love, the, the, the foundation is faith, the capstone is love. Love here is the crowning virtue. And of course, love is the birthmark of a believer. Um, it's, it's the badge of Christian discipleship. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, well, by this will all men know that, uh, that you are my uh, followers, that you have love for one another. Love's what matters most. Paul said that, you know, these three remain faith and hope and love. The greatest of these um, is love. And agape love is a willingness to sacrifice of ourself for the highest good of other people. It's like someone said one time, I'd love you unconditionally, but you just don't deserve it. <laughs> That's kind of how we are sometimes. Look, it's talking about a love, an unconditional love, where we're willing to sacrifice for the good of another person, the highest good of that other person. And again, love is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So as we depend upon the Spirit of God, the Spirit produces love within us, and in that cooperative effort, we work that out uh, in our lives. There's an old story. It's been around a long time. I know I've told this before, but there was this psychology professor, and he didn't have any children of his own. 
Whenever he would see a neighbor scolding his child for some wrongdoing, he would always go out and say, you should love the boy, not punish him. Well, one day this professor was out pouring some concrete in his driveway, a hot day, and he took a break for a few moments and was sitting up there in the shade, kind of in an area where it was hard to see, and some boys came by, and one of them put his hand in there and began to impress his hand down into the concrete. Well, this psychology professor ran out there and grabbed this boy who was about to spank him when the neighbor leaned out of his window and said, watch it, professor. Don't you remember? You must love the child. And the professor yelled back, I do love him in the abstract, but not in the concrete. (laughs) Now, that's a good illustration because that's what I find in my life a lot. I love in the abstract, but not in the concrete. We all like to talk about that we're loving and we care about other people and uh, we have a great concern for them. But when it gets down to the concrete, where I've got a sacrifice of myself, my time, my energy, my effort, my money, whatever it is, for the highest good of another person. realm, We have to experience the love of God to really show true agape love for other people. So you and I need to think often of God's love for us. We need to receive His love. It's interesting, that's hard for a lot of people to do, to really receive the love of God, that He really loves us that much. We need to revel in the love of God and rejoice in it and remind ourselves daily what the Bible says about God's love for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. To think often about that greatest demonstration of God's love, I'm at the cross. And I pray here this morning that you've accepted for the very first time the love of God for you expressed in Jesus Christ that you know that God loves you in the person of his son, that he gave himself for you, and he'll wash away all your sins if you'll simply come to him and receive him uh, to be your savior from sin. If you've never done that, that's what you need to do. I know I quoted this at the beginning of the message here in the prayer, but I love that quote by Richard Sibbs. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Can never outsend the grace of God. Receive Christ's mercy and love if you never have here this morning. There's a grave marker along the trail to a famous mountain peak in Europe. And on this marker, there's the man's name who died and this simple inscription, he died climbing. And my prayer is that God will help each one of us to die climbing. Climbing the mountain of maturity, if you will, to never stop growing and climbing as long as we live. To never stop growing and climbing in moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly love and love. That's God's desire for you and for me. We're going to pick up next time in verses 8 through 11. We're going to end this long sentence we've been in. One long sentence in verses 1 to 11. And we're going to talk about some motivations to spiritual growth. These are powerful incentives and motivators that should stimulate you and stimulate me to want to be growing uh, in our spiritual lives. We'll pick up there next time. Well, let's pray together. Well, Father, we come to you in the, the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for what he's done for each one of us. He's demonstrated his love for us. If there's someone here who's never received that love, who's never put their faith in Christ, I pray they do it this morning before they leave here right where they sit, they'd open their heart and take Jesus to be their Savior. Father, for those of us who know you, we thank you for all the riches you've given to us in Christ, for your power and all the 
the great and magnificent promises we have. But Father, help us to apply all diligence, to give maximum effort in our lives as you work in us to be growing spiritually and to see this beautiful array of virtues begin to to blossom in a greater degree in our hearts and in our lives so we can be more like you and more like your precious son. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to grow into your image. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for a final benediction here in a moment. I want to uh, mention again, if you're visiting with us, if you go out these doors, uh, kind of down this area to the right side down there, there's a, there's a welcome center. And there's some folks here that would love to greet you and give you some more information about our church. Um, the elders, I'll be down front after the service. Our elders who are present, they'll be down front as well. Uh, they'd love the opportunity to get acquainted with you. Uh, one other announcement I've got, uh, the AIM Discipleship Ministry, you're having an event on Sunday, February 16th. So next Sunday, um, this is an intentional discipleship event. Um, it's an opportunity to hear more about discipleship, how to become involved in the discipleship ministry here at our church. Which, by the way, we're talking about spiritual growth. This is a great opportunity to avail for that. Uh, dinner's going to be served. Child care will be provided. You can go to the Faith Bible website under the si- current sign-ups page, and you can sign up there for that. So 5 o'clock uh, next uh, Sunday afternoon uh, down there in the Fellowship Hall, uh, down uh, just uh, to the north of here a bit. Let's uh, bow our heads now for the benediction. Leave here with the Lord's blessing upon our lives. Father, we come to you now. We pray as we leave here today that we would go out from here and give maximum effort, working out what you're working in, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.